From New York City, this is Mark to Markets. I'm your host, Mark Penzener. On this podcast, we discuss topics near and far from personal finance. Any questions or comments, I can be reached at mark.penzener at bernstein.com or call me directly at 212-969-6655. The focus of today's episode is going to be year-end planning with a focus on tax planning. This time of year, it's always a hot topic, but I think it's even more in focus this year coming off of an election. To do that, today I'm joined by Director of Research in the Wealth Strategies Group at Alliance Bernstein, Tara Popernick. Tara, thanks for joining. Hi, Mark. How are you? Good. Tara oversees all research related to financial planning at the firm. And, and Tara, it may be useful for listeners to do a very basic tax law 101 because there's been so much discussion about the Senate and the House and Joe Biden's proposals. Um, how do tax laws get passed? Sure. Thanks, Mark. And, and thanks for having me on. This is probably one of our um, most frequently asked questions by clients over the last several months, and I'm sure going into year end as well. Um, I, I do highly recommend um, YouTubing Schoolhouse Rocks, uh, How a Bill Becomes a Law. That, that's a great <laughs> primer if you haven't seen it. But um, what, what I simply can say is that all roads to tax increases run through Congress. And while the Democrats have maintained control of the House, their control of the Senate is still in question um, and, and is relatively uncertain still at this point because um, as of right now, based on Associated Press calls, Republicans will control 50 Senate seats while Democrats will control 48. Um, there are two seats up for grabs. Um, both are in Georgia and both are going to be decided by a runoff election that will happen in early January. Um, so we don't really know um, who's going to control the Senate because with Joe Biden as president, um, Kamala Harris can act as the tiebreaker um, in, in the Senate to, to get things passed with a very narrow majority. Um, but really with this divided Congress, we don't see a huge path to higher taxes in the very near term. Um, the next opportunity for change of control will be in 2023 after the 2022 midterm elections. Does that get accelerated if both Georgia seats were to go Democratic and the vice president is the 51st vote for the Democrats? Would that accelerate the potential for tax law reform? It, you know, potentially, but you are going to run into a situation where there, there's going to be one or two um, conservative Democrats from conservative states who may not vote for things that are um, being proposed um, and, and divided very squarely on party lines. What I can say though, and you know, as part of our research earlier um, in the election cycle, we talked to um, some folks on Biden's policy team. And what they said to us is, you're not going to get a big tax bill like the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 that both houses of Congress passed and the Trump administration signed. What, what you're going to get are subtle changes that are part of other pieces of legislation. So things like if um, an infrastructure bill gets through both houses of Congress, that may contain some small changes to the tax code in order to pay for certain things. Um, if we get a coronavirus relief bill, that could subtly adjust things in the tax code. Some might be favorable to taxpayers, some might be unfavorable. 
Um, so there's a, a whole host of ways that things could pop up that, that changes the current landscape that we're in um, between now and um, you know the, the end of the Biden administration. So four years from so, now. So, so you're, you, you talked about it. I think it's a, a good place to step back. The notion of when you spoke to the Biden team, what, how they thought this might go. Um, I think that touches on the distinction between what a candidate's proposals are or talking points are on the, cam on the campaign trail versus what's more likely to, to be real. Um, from, from the first, what, what have been the stated proposals that the Biden administration has laid out? I'm not saying that we will or won't see them, but what, what are they sort of on record on as to how tax brackets or capital gains would change? Right. So, so the, the key income tax proposals, and I'll just stick on income tax for a moment, sure. would be to um, increase income taxes for taxpayers with income over $400,000. That means um, restoring the top um, tax rate to 39.6% federally from um, the 37% that it's at today, potentially limiting some itemized deductions um, for high taxpayers. Uh, imposing an additional payroll tax for folks who earn over four hundred thousand um, dollars, potentially some things um, related to capital gains taxes, and this is really where the headline has been to tax capital gains and dividends as ordinary income for taxpayers with income over a million dollars. So, so your really high tax tax bracket taxpayers um, would lose the benefit of the long-term capital gains rate on, on their capital gains. There have been some other um, smaller items that don't affect everyone, but would have some big effects on their particular um, industries like the elimination of section 1031 exchanges for real estate investors. Um, and the repeal of the Section 199A deduction for taxpayers over with income over $400,000. And then finally, increasing the corporate tax rate um, up to 28%. Um, so that's a, it's a whole host of proposals on the income tax side. Um, on the estate planning, estate tax side and, and gift tax side, there has been a proposal to potentially restore the exclusion, which is currently 11.58 million per person. That's going to go up to 11.7 million per person uh, beginning of 2021 to restore that back to what the Biden administration has said is a historical norm. Now it's unclear in the proposal whether that's 5 million as it was, um, under the end of the Obama administration with an inflation adjustment annually, or if that's all the way back to, you know, a three and a half million that it was prior to um, the end of the Obama administration. So that that is an open question. Um, and so we do see a lot of clients wanting to take advantage of that expanded exclusion today, um, knowing that with that Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that had passed in 2017, there was only a short window to use that expanded exclusion because it will be, it, it is scheduled to sunset at the end of 2025 anyway. Um, so I think what we're seeing is a lot of pulling forward of some of that estate tax planning that was going to happen between now and the end of 2025. So, so that's a laundry list of yes. lots of changes some complicated, some less complicated, but, but maybe the headline in there is that's the proposals. 
it's it's not clear any of that or very little of that could get passed if the Republicans hold Congress. And, and I think your earlier point, we should restate, even if the Democrats win both seats in Georgia, it's also unclear that you would see any or all of that get passed as well. Correct. Correct. Okay. So, so let's try and deconstruct some of those where we'll, we'll go line item by line item. But before I do that, I, I think this is an interesting question for our New York, New Jersey, Connecticut listeners. Um, has there been any talk about the SALT, the state and local tax deductions being changed? Um, they, they, they hit, so this is the, the rule where your state tax deductions were capped at $10,000. That has tended to hit coastal blue states, frankly, more harsh than other parts of the country. Um, with Biden as the president, there, there might be some thought that, that that would be rolled back. Any talk about that, Tara? Yes. So there, there has been. And in fact, there has even been talk of that this year as um, a potential for part of a coronavirus relief package to roll back that SALT deduction to give taxpayers, particularly in the, some of those states that were hit hardest earliest by the coronavirus, um, a, a bit of a tax break for their residents. Um, so, so that has been discussed. The idea um, with the Biden administration rolling back the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act may reintroduce that SALT deduction um, for taxpayers in high-income tax states. And, and by the way, it's not just the high-income tax states. Some states which don't have income taxes, um, individuals have lost the ability to deduct higher property tax bills um, from, from those states. So uh, it, it, you, know, you think of this as, as a New York... New Jersey, California problem, but but it's actually much more widespread than that. Um, of the number point. of people who really benefit from that that salt deduction. Um, however, if we go back to limitations on itemized deductions for people who are you know above the twenty eight percent tax bracket, um, that will you know sort of cap in a way that the benefit of getting that salt deduction back for a lot of people. Net net, it's probably going to um, be, be of benefit, but um, hard to say how much it's probably not going back to exactly the old way that it was um, under the pre-2017 tax law. So I'm laughing because the answer to all the things with tax are, it depends and it's complicated, right? Absolutely. <laughs> all right. So, so let's talk about capital gains for a second. So if, if you own stock and currently you own it for less than a year and then you sell it for a profit, you pay your ordinary income tax rate, which could be 15%, 20, 25, 28, 30, 37, correct? And, correct. and at long terms, you, you get a, a better preferential rate of 15, correct? Yes, provided you've held the stock for 365 plus one days, you get that benefit of the long-term capital gains rate, which for very low income taxpayers is zero, going all the way up to 23. Well, 20% federally, plus you have to add on the um, net investment income surtax of 3.8% to get to a total rate of 23.8. So, um, so, so the proposal, so what I think people are thinking is I'm paying 23.8 on my long-term capital gains because I've owned the stock for a year. Maybe I've owned the stock for 10 years or 15 years because I worked for the company or it was, it was from family and I've owned it for 30 years. And now instead of paying 23%, I could be paying, just to round this off, 40. Fair estimate? Mm -hmm. So, uh, so a fair, fair estimate for taxpayers who have income of over a million dollars. So, and, and I, I think that's a key point here. That's a key, but it still could be higher than the 23 today, yeah, right? Even yeah, if you're not correct. in that. So, so correct. The, so the, I think the question we're both getting a bunch is, should investors be 
selling their portfolios now to realize the capital gains at this better rate than a higher rate in the future. So, so yeah, so with the amount of uncertainty that we're currently facing as to what exactly this is gonna look like going forward from a tax code perspective, um, we're advising clients not to let the tax tail wag the investment dog. And so let me unpack that just a little bit. If there's something in your portfolio that you don't wanna hold, right? You know, maybe it's um, a too volatile single position. Maybe you are thinking about migrating from a diversified U.S. equity uh, portfolio to something that um, reflects your values a little bit more. So maybe it's a responsible equity investment um, or environmentally responsible equity investment, so something along those lines. That is a decision that you should make from an investment perspective. And if you do it between now and December 31st, the consequences of that decision, you're going to know with certainty what the tax consequence is. Um, if you wait, yes, there's some uncertainty. There's always value in deferring tax. You know, we typically don't advise people to pay taxes before they have to. But if this is something that you're thinking about doing in the near term anyway, maybe go ahead and take that action. You know, where we don't advise clients to take action is if they're running their portfolio in the standard course um, or, you know, thinking about not, not thinking about doing a major rebalancing or reallocation, you know, don't accelerate gains this year because you're gonna have to pay them right away. Um, you know, those, those tax bills will be due in April. Now for certain taxpayers uh, at the margin, they may have lower income this year. Um, individuals who have large retirement plans didn't have to take the required minimum distribution. So there may be room in your tax picture for 2020 to take a little bit more gain that you might otherwise take. So if you're, if you're thinking you're gonna unload the position for any reason, right? You have a large concentration, you're, an, you're a corporate executive, it's an inheritance. It, it may make sense to, let's call it, hedge the tax bite and do some of it mm -hmm. earlier this year before year end. But in the normal course of events, if you're living off the portfolio or it's a long-term portfolio for your family or for your nest egg, there's no reason to accelerate the taxes by December 31. Exactly. Um, you know, and most of us will live with multiple tax law changes during our lifetimes. And, right. you know, you, if you don't have to access those funds right now, you know, why, why pay the tax early? Um, let me switch to another topic you talked about, which is estate tax. So currently you have an $11.5 million exemption. So if you're a married couple, you're talking about roughly $23 million of assets before you're going to pay a dollar of federal estate tax. Um, that, that, to use your words, is supposed to be dropped to a historical norm. Maybe that's $5 million per person, maybe three and a half. So you're talking about, call it $23 million of exclusion dropping to 10. Um, that's a big change, right? Especially if you think of estate taxes roughly 50%. That's a heck of a lot bigger check to the government you were writing than you were prior. prior. Um, are we telling people to do anything between now and year end? Because I know a lot of this estate planning work takes some time, meetings with attorneys, and we've only got a few, you know, six weeks left in a year. So are, are there specific people who should be accelerating some of this estate planning? Sure. So, and there's a couple of additional factors at play here. You know, one, there is this expanded exclusion and, and the 
using this expanded exclusion between now and when it is scheduled to sunset in, in 2025 has been on the to-do list for many wealthy families. What we're advising is if you were thinking about doing something, you might as well just do it now. Um, the other thing to consider is that uh, interest rates are very low right now, even though they've, they've rallied a bit in, in the last couple of weeks, but they're still very low relative to historical norms. Relative to anything, and, right? They're really, re really low. Yeah, really relative to anything. And, and so a lot of the estate planning strategies that our clients use um, to transfer wealth to the next generation or to transfer wealth to a combination of a philanthropic beneficiary and a family beneficiary, those strategies um, are, are reliant on interest rates and are particularly successful in a low rate environment. So while we have these low rates, it's a pretty good time to um, look at some of these things and, and consider how it might fit into your estate plan. So, so by way of example, a, a loan to a trust for the benefit of um, your family members now gets a you know rate that is uh, below a percent for a term of up to 10 years. And you know that that's that's really powerful because if you can invest that money in something that's going to return um, something well over that that treasury yield rate, um, you can transfer a lot of wealth to the next generation. Um, two last topics: Does charity figure into any of this year in planning at all? I, absolutely. So there's a couple of different things this year uh, from a charitable planning perspective. You know, typically we advise clients to. Um, give appreciated assets because not only are they getting the charitable deduction on the market value of those assets provided they were held for the long term, they're also avoiding any embedded capital gain um, on those particularly shares of stock that they might be donating to a, a charity. When um, the CARES Act passed uh, the, right at the end of March earlier this year, what they included was a provision um, that cash gifts directly to charities could be deducted up to 100% of your AGI, which is larger than a, a typical cash gift, which is up to 60% of your AGI uh, in any other year besides 2020, or a um, gift of marketable securities, which can be deducted up to 30% of your AGI. So for clients who are considering really big gifts and when you really offset their... Um, their income this year, a combination potentially of appreciated securities and a cash gift directly to a charity could um, be a very um, opportunistic and winning strategy to reduce your 2020 tax bill um, substantially. Last topic, Tara, Th this may surprise some of our listeners. This will be a little bit of a, a niche question, but like 15 to 20% of the listeners of this podcast are actually outside the U.S. overseas. And Please email me. I want to know who you are. But that, that aside, is there any specific planning for this year end for, for global families? It, that, again, is a whole box of it depends, right? Okay. Um, so, so but, here, but here are some of the things to think about. To the extent that you have U.S. ties or um, you, you, there are U.S. people in your family, all of this U.S. estate planning and tax pl planning stuff could potentially touch your situation. So it's important to you know, be working with somebody who understands both the non-U.S. and the U.S. 
part of your picture. And, and that's something that, that we at Bernstein have some specific expertise in. That's, no, that, that's really helpful. I think a lot of this, so I, I think the takeaway beyond a lot of good information on the topic of taxes, it often depends. It's all changing. It's very specific to one's circumstances and you should immediately call your accountant if you think you're in any of these situations. But beyond engaging myself or Tara, your accountant is, is key in this process. Yes, and we, and we often work hand in hand with clients, uh, accountants and their um, legal professionals to design a strategy that, you know, we're putting investments in place that will um, make everything that they're doing on the legal and accounting side actually work very well. Tara, this was, this was awesome. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Thanks for having me. To our listeners, feel free again to email me at mark.penzner at bernstein.com or call me at 212-969-6655 for questions on this or any other topic. And make sure to like us, review us, podcast, wherever you listen to it. That helps others find it and and is a great way for, for us to spread the word. Until next time.